Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. God is using in the midst of wherever we are, we just better participate and join in. Father, thank you. Let us pray, Father, we thank you once again, God, for the tremendous privilege, God, just to be in your midst, to be in your presence, God. God, you know that today was a special day for each and every one of us, and we don't know what people are going through. But we do know what you've already done. Because had it not been for you on our side, where would we be? So God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the worship experience thus far. Thank you for the gift of song and music, God. Thank you for the excitement of your word, God. Thank you, God. You said if you will be lifted up, God. Thank you for getting up, God. Oh, we bless your name today, God. For you're worthy. To be praised, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give Hallelujah. Glory, Hallelujah. We lift our hands and bless you, Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We lift our voices and give you glory. Thank you. For you've been good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Nobody greater than you, Jesus. Nobody bigger than you, Jesus. Nobody better than you, Jesus. Nobody's more awesome than you, Jesus. Nobody's righteous like you, Jesus. Nobody's flawless like you, Jesus. We surrender our praise right now, Jesus. your presence yes, even right now Jesus Thank you. hallelujah hallelujah do what you want to do God hallelujah glory to your name Jesus glory 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 God is good hallelujah hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to read the word of God today we're going to be coming from the book of Isaiah the 49th chapter Verses 15 through 18, Isaiah 49, the 15th verse. Oh, I'm sorry, the 13th verse. 13th verse. And it reads as follows. It says, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord had comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord had forsaken me and my Lord had forgotten me. Verse 15 says, can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yea, will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palm of my hands. 
Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste. Thou destroyer, and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thy eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, said the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all as with an ornament and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. The word of the Lord. I know today that we've been excited, but I want you to think with me this morning from this thought. God never forgets his people. God never forgets his people. If there was ever a time that the body of Christ needed to be encouraged, it's right now. Given the events that took place earlier this week, I want to encourage somebody that even in the midst of where you are, God never forgets his people. We're praying for God to remove the spirit of unbelief. We're praying for God to remove the spirit of unrest. We're praying for God to remove the spirit of divisiveness, the spirit of violence that is hovering all over our world. Anytime a people will put more faith in a man than God, something is wrong with that. Because God has never forgot his people. I'm reminded in James 1, 2, it says, My brethren, count it what? Not all joy, that when you fall into divers temptation. The word temptations means to test. These tests or trials are a natural part of life, of simply just being in the world. And when Satan tries to get us to give in, when Satan tries to give up, get us to, to give out, when Satan tries, especially when he goes against God's word, the Bible says that we still have to count it all joy. As Christians, we know we go through seasons that when the pressure is on, the test sometimes appears to be more trying than others, more difficult and more challenging to have a joy in the midst of being tempted. But the things I want you to know this morning is that there is not a test that you have to go through alone. There's not a trial. There's not a circumstance. There's not a temptation that you ever have to go through alone. See, the enemy of our soul wants us to think that when we face trials and tests, we are facing them alone. And honestly, sometimes we have felt that way. But our Heavenly Father wants us to understand and be clear that God never forgets his people. He will never abandon us. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. What we are going to see in this passage this morning is that God loves us so much, more than we realize. We all have had experiences in life where we feel utterly alone and abandoned. Through the prophet Isaiah, God makes a tremendous comforting promise. He says, you may feel completely forgotten 
by human beings in your life, but God never forgets his people. Psalm 2710 says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will still hold you close. And whenever we think that we are alone, whenever we think that the enemy has gotten the best, whenever we think it is over and we are ready to throw in the towel, I remember God is with us. David said it this way. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. See, the enemy doesn't stop. You see, we always are going to have issues that we are going to have to go through. And just because you've conquered one issue in one area, the enemy won't stop trying to get you in another area. But God has never forgot his people. Israel has been severely punished by the Lord for her sins and her idolatry. Her cities have been ransacked. Her sons and daughters have been carried off into captivity. In this chapter today, God promises to restore his people. Verse 13 says, he says, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. So sing the people of God as they contemplate their future deliverance. But the people of the captivity and those left in this desolate inheritance, they are not so happy. Because verse 14 tells us that they say, but Zion, but Israel said, the Lord had forsaken me and my Lord had forgotten me. The people felt as though they had been forsaken and forgotten by the Lord. From Israel's perspective, God had abandoned and ignored their plight. Their nation had been destroyed. Their capital had lay in ruins. Their precious temple had been utterly demolished. They were a broken people. And every Christian who is struggling with weariness, feelings of abandonment, or emotional distress, although the problem may persist, strength for coping is on the way. You may not want to admit it, but there are probably times when you have felt abandoned and forsaken by the Lord. We wonder why the circumstances in our lives are like they are. We wonder why it seems like life is one trial after another. We wonder where God is in the world and while things appear to be out of control. What happened in Washington, D.C. was something that was out of control. Something none of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Here it is, we're getting ready. We're in a new year. We're looking with new expectations, new hope, new excitement. And lo and behold, look what happened. Shook up the whole world. But God never forgets his people. He will not forget. Sometimes we feel like we have been forgotten. God cannot and will not forget about you and forget about me. God cannot and he will not forsake us. In these verses this morning, 
God gives his people some wonderful reasons for hope. He lets them know that he has not abandoned them and he cannot forget about them. The Lord assures them of his love by giving them what I see is four proofs of his devotion. Four proofs. The first one I see is in verse 15. Can a woman get her suckling child, forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? The first thing I see is God's accountability. See, the Bible emphasizes the fatherhood of God, but there is also a motherhood side to God's nature, and we must not forget. God is compassionate, and he confronts us as a mother confronts her children. The word forget means to ignore, to cease to care. Can a mother cease to forget about her child? Can she ignore him or her? See, the mothering metaphor is appealing, and a mother's love is often considered the strongest and the finest in its existence. The passage speaks of how the child is born and given nourishment by its mother. Isaiah's rhetorical question implies not only the physical caring of a child, but the emotional intensity that bonds a mother to her offspring. Simply having children does not make you a wonderful mother. Just because you had a baby, that don't make you a wonderful mother. Just because you had uh, became a father, that don't make you a wonderful father. But being a mother, on the other hand, is an act of the heart. Remember, the issue is about forgetting and neglecting. God is telling his people, metaphorically, how intense he is about his relationship with them. He's saying to them, I will sustain you, I will not forget you, and I will nourish you even in your time of discipline. God says, I will still be there. Isaiah portrait portrays Israel as a nursing child in her mother's arms, arms that represent God's embrace. The child is wholly dependent upon his mother and trusts that he will never be forsaken by her. See, God's love transcends even the, bit, the best the world can offer, which is a mother's love. But the text goes on and says, yea, they may forget. And I want, to, want you to understand what the writer is trying to get us to see. Sometimes we get so busy in life that we can forget what we're supposed to do. Sometimes it's not intentional, but we can forget. But nothing can separate us from the love of the Lord. And that's what the Lord was trying to get his people to see. He said, maybe if you've done something so terrible that you believe God cannot possibly love you. 
as I think about the unfaithfulness of Israel, no matter how treacherous and disloyal she had been, God never forgot his covenant of love. And when Israel repented and turned back to the Lord, he was always forgave them. He always embraced them as a mother comforts her child. God never forgets. God wants to make sure that we understand, and that's why the writer used this metaphor. He said, a mother may sometimes forget, but God said, I'll never forget you. No matter how you may look at it, he said he will never forget you. This is God's accountability. This is God's covenant relationship with us. The next point I see in the text, verse 16, it says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palm of my hand. God's distinguishing mark. See, in this verse, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. God doesn't have hands, does he? This is a figure of speech known as an anthropomorphism. That is when human features are used to describe the characteristics of God just to make a point. But when Jesus took on human flesh, God literally had hands. See, when, when Jesus died on the cross, the nails that were driven through his hands they left permanently scars, reminder to us of his love and his relationship to redeem us as people. The Old Testament high priests bore the names of the tribes of Israel on their shoulders and over their hearts, according to Exodus, the 20th chapter. These names were engraved on jewels and attached to the priest's clothing, but God has etched the names of his children on the palm of his hands. Oh, my God. Think about that. Your name is in the hand of God. He's engraved your name in his hand. In the original language, the word engraved used here means to cut into. Our names are permanently cut into God's own flesh. They are ever in front of his eyes. He can never forget his children. And the essential idea is that Zion was dear to his heart, that he had sketched it as an object in which he felt a deep interest, so deep as even to engrave it in the palm of his hand. You know, people are familiar going to get a tattoo, but have you ever seen anybody with a tattoo in their hand? Probably not because the hand is probably the most sensitive area. It would be very painful if you got a tattoo in your hand. But our Heavenly Father took it upon himself to show that he loved us just that much. He put a mark on us. So everywhere you go, you are marked and called out. That's why you're called the Ecclesia, because of the mark that God has put upon you. God knows everything about you. You are precious in his sight. He knows you and has named you as his own. No matter what happens, no matter how hard your life is, God will watch over you and will take you in the end to be with him in his kingdom forever. And every time I 
look at my hand, I see your walls. And the walls in the text refers to protection, which brings me to my next point. He says in verse 16, thy walls are continually before me. Thy walls are continually before me. Of course, these walls refer to the walls of the city of Jerusalem. These walls represent health. These walls represent strength, prosperity, and the security of God's people. When he told Israel, your walls are ever before me, they knew that he saw those broken places in the walls that were under construction. How many know that there's some broken places in our life that's still under construction? They need to put the tape out like they do at sites. They need to put the combs out so people know when you walk by, your walls are still under construction. He was able to view their rebuilding. He sees the broken places in our lives also. And he sees those places that need to re re rebuilding. Some of us need to have some rebuilding taking place. We, we renovate the house. We renovate the bathroom. We renovate areas in our house. But what about in your spiritual life? What are you rebuilding inside of you? He'll help you. He won't forget you. And many of the Jews fear that God had forgotten his promises to them. They could not see that God was working even in what appeared to be a disaster, which was to bring about his perfect will to his people. See, sometimes in the midst of our pity party, we can't see God. We can't hear from God. All we can think is, woe is me. I mean, why this always have to happen to me? I don't never hear nobody else complaining. That's because they're keeping it to themselves. But God never forgets his people. His eye on, is on every detail of our existence. He does the same for us today, and it may appear that God has abandoned you. It may appear that God has forgotten you. That is merely how things appear. The truth is God never fails. And God never forgets. He had a constant and sacred regard for his people. And amidst all their calamity and trials, he still remembered them. See, no matter what you're facing and no matter what you're going through right now, God still remembers. God is saying, listen, I love you so much that I have place you in a place where it would be impossible for me not to see you. He has placed us in a place. Remember I said he etched you in his hand. He said he placed you in a place that it would be impossible for him not to see you. Sometimes I think when we think we turn the lights out, we're in the dark, that nobody can see us. Nobody humanly, but God never forgets. He knows where you are and what you're doing. And once we experience God in our loneliest places, the place 
what we feel most abandoned by humans, we begin to comprehend that he is always there. He has always been there. His love and comfort surrounds us no matter where we go. Here's the third point, the prophetic truth. The prophetic truth. See, Israel's enemy had left them. I said the third point. That's the fourth point, right? No, I skipped one. The third point is God's provisions. God foresees, God perceives in advance. And the fourth point is his prophetic truth. See, Israel's enemies had left them, and her children are coming home. This promise looks ahead to a future time when the nation will be fully restored. See, Israel's future is brighter than her past. But now God says to Judah, all your exiles are coming home. And that's why the writer says, lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather. They come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall put all of them on like an ornament. And like a bride, you shall bind them on. See, Judah exiled people will be restored to her so many dazzling stones and other precious stones will be around her. Like a jeweler, God is saying, God will surprise his people with the beauty of the final outcome. That's why this is called a prophetic truth. This is being prophesied. We too have the assurance that God will place before us in splendor array his many, many blessings, and they shall adorn our lives like the ornaments. As I paraphrase Ephesians 1.8, it says, you will know the confidence that he calls you to have and the glorious wealth that God's people will inherit. The eye of your heart enlightened that you may know what the hope is of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, our Savior has promised to return to claim us for himself. Our Savior has gone to prepare a place for us. Our Savior has promised to wipe away our tears. Our Savior has promised to take us up to a wedding in the cloud. Our Savior has promised us a honeymoon that the world will never forget. God will never forget us. I'm done. But let me tell you this story. There was once a farmer who went to a town to purchase seed for his farm. As he was returning home, one of the squash seeds he had purchased fell from his pocket onto the ground. It happened within a few feet of another seed of a different type. The place where the two seeds lay was rather fertile, and miraculously, they took root. And after about a week, the squash seeds showed signs of growth. 
The second seed showed none. After two weeks, the squash seed began to sprout leaves. The second seed showed none. After seven weeks, the squash seed began to show fruit. The second seed still showed no progress. Four weeks came and gone. The squash plant reached the end of life, bearing much fruit in that time. But the other seed finally began to show some growth. Many years later, the squash seed was all but forgotten. But the other tiny seed, an acorn, had grown into a mighty oak tree. See, many people want their faith to be like the squash. They want to be fully developed in a matter of months. But God wants the strength of something that will last forever. How many know that we got to be willing to be an acorn for the kingdom? The children of Israel's faith and trust in God began to weather, but they felt abandoned and of love. And though we are prone to wonder and forget, God has promised that he will never allow us to forget about him. See, we forget to give him glory. We forget to thank him for blessings. We forget to pray for him. We forget to praise him. We forget his steadfast and abounding love. We forget what Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. We forget his death. We forget his burial. We forget his resurrection. We forget that he is still awaiting resurrection. We forget that Christ is interceding for us on the right hand of the Father. We forget that Christ is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. We forget that we are united in Christ and that our salvation is secure. We forget God's promises. But guess what? And yet God will never forget us. God hasn't forgot about the church. He hasn't forgot about your faithfulness. He hasn't forgot about the commitment that you made. But church, our commitment has got to be bigger than that. We got to be willing to accept what God will allow. And no matter how it looks around us, I want to assure you that God will never forget. The doors of the church are open. There may be somebody listening that feel like God has forsaken them, that God has abandoned them. And the only reason you feel that way is because financially you're struggling. It's because you feel like you've let your family down. You feel like you can't do nothing without a job. You can't do nothing without income. But God has given you something special. You don't need money for it. He said, all you got to do is have a willing heart. He said, he'll do everything else. And if you don't know Jesus Christ in the pardon of your sin, the Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Salvation is yours. And so today, as they sing, we extend salvation to you. Come as you are. Come on your own Christian experience. Come by water baptism. Come as a candidate for baptism. Is there one? If you don't have a church home, it's very easy. All you have to do is just call us. Call the church. 
Leave your name and phone number, and we'll call you back. We'll walk you through the plan. Sing, my sister. I will be with Is there one? You. I will be with you if you will Is there one? Trust me. Trust me. Is there one? Trust me. I'll fight your battle. Yes, he'll fight your battles. He'll fight. I'll he'll fight for you. Your battle. I'll fight. Thank you, God. Your battle. If you. All we got to do is trust him. Trust me. Trust him. Trust me. Now we're going to go into our communion service. I'm going to have Minister DeAndre Richardson. She's going to come and read our scripture. Whatever you're going to use at home, whatever juice, whatever bread or whatever cracker, whatever you're going to use, we're going to pray over your elements when she gets through reading the scripture, and then we're going to go into our communion service. On the first day, reading from Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm gonna celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. Take, take your elements in your hand. Father, we ask right now that you would consecrate this bread and this wine, that it would be symbolic of your death, burial, and your resurrection, that we, we would remember that as we come together, God, we come to remember you, all that you have done. So the Bible says, he took the bread, 
after he had given thanks, the Bible said he break it and say, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let us all eat together. The Bible said, likewise, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. Drink ye all of it. Let us drink together. The text says that, the Bible says, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily drinketh damnation to himself and is guilty of the body. So he cautions them, let a man or woman examine themselves. My brothers and sisters, we are encouraged. This is the second communion service that we've had in this year. The first one was just to commemorate the coming into the new year. This is what one that's always on our schedule. I want us to understand that don't take these lightly. This is serious, especially given where we are and what's going on in the world. The Bible said there was no benediction given, but they did sing a song and they went to their mountain of olives. And I say to you, wherever you are, go in peace, go in strength, go in safety. We love you and we look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Amen. Get slain for the sins of the world. Holy, holy Lamb that was slain for the sins of the Time. Righteous, righteous.